and welcome to get a grip with Coach Elix. And no, you may be saying that doesn't sound like Coach Elix. That sounds like his incredible handsome husband, Stephen the Medium. Yes, it's Stephen is here. Elix was having a little bit of technical issues um, downstairs, so he is trying to fix whatever that is, and we just um. You know, as Helix always says, the biggest no-no in radio is just having dead ear, right? So I had to jump in, and thank God I am here to jump in. Um, and at worst case scenario, because Elix has, uh, sounds like an amazing guest, Dan Kelly on today. Elix will come here, take over my mic, and I will try to do my best to get downstairs and figure out what's going on with him. So I hope, and at any point, maybe Elix would just pop on, but I hope everybody is having such a great week it's it's been <laughs> was that you mark or maybe maybe it's elix i don't know i can i can i thought i heard elix in any case i've had a well both of us have had mark hello i don't know this is well you know what i guess i should keep speaking since it's live and mark saying hold on i can't hold on right i gotta chat with you people Mark, I can, we can hear you. Hello. All right, well, listen, we'll just get, you know, this is, we, we just play with it. It's live radio. So again, how is everybody? I hope everybody's good. I know hopefully if um, uh, Dan is listening, Dan, it will be all set by the time you get um, here. And usually we take um, the guest on after the first commercial break so well i guess administratively putting aside um um yes in mock i can hear you <laughs> they clearly can't tell i'm saying that in any case um you know this is the time that we always elix and i talk about you know what's going on in our lives and and so um what's going on in my life let me just say i can't, can't speak for elix but my book the suicide gift is ready to go on December 8th. I did receive last night the author's copy, and it's my first book. So I am really, really excited about it. It will be um, um, launched December 8th, so I know you can go on to uh, KDP on Amazon and pre-order it. Only the ebook. They don't let you pre-order the print book, and the print book will be ready December 8th. So it's, um, it's definitely a... a a big success for me, and I'm sure for anybody who starts off and writes their first book, I think it's 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 certainly, you know, I do as a medium, as an attorney, you know, I, I worked for juvenile court for 20 years, and, um, you know, I just had a lot of conversations with different people, and then when I started doing the mediumship role and, and doing readings with people, you know, one of the things that comes up sometimes in readings, or actually many times, is as if I'm reading someone, and say I'm reading a woman and her mother or father are in spirit, so they're, they're talking to me and I'm relaying the messages to, to their daughter. There's been many, many times that someone will bring up a book and I will say, um, I, have you been thinking about writing Steven? a book? And inevitably, it is always a yes. Excuse me um, for the interruption. And then we just have like a very quick conversation about it, and it's always you know for so many people, it's it's just intimidating. You know, thinking Oops. about how Stephen name am I going to have? Yes. Excuse me for the interruption. That's okay. We have Elix on the phone. Okay. So um, 
We are not sure what the issue is with him, but he can do it over the phone line and you can talk back and forth. And oh, He's a talented guy, Mark. So um, <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that he should be on online right now. Sure. Uh, okay. I am. I am. Can you hear me? Hello, Elix. Hi, Elix. Hello, thank you. Let, let me welcome know. my let me welcome my co-host. Uh, get a grip with Coach Elix. He's here. I am I am here, and maybe at the break we'll switch, Stephen, so that I can um, just uh, connect the regular way. But anyways, uh, here I am. Unfortunately, dealing with this very last minute um, technical issue that I have no idea what it is about. So, anyways. Go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt you. You were on. No, so I was. I was just Elix. I was just telling everybody about um, my book, and just about you know, for a first-time author, it's always something that, you know, that the the intimidation factor. I I would never have enough time to write a book, and, and there's just a lot of things. But I'll tell you, once it's done, and I got to tell you from my experience, and I share this with Elix, I thought writing the book was the easy part. Once it's done, that's the hard part, is getting getting it edited, getting it formatted, the cover, the the spine, the back, what you want to write for, you know, the back of the cover, the it just goes on and on and on. And also the the logistics and the the administrative parts of it too, of of getting, you know, all, all the requirements of a book that you need and um it's not it's not it's not difficult, but it's de definitely I thought the writing part was was um, easier. So Elix, you know, um, seeing this is your show, let's, I was just talking about me, but um, what about what's going on with you? I mean, how, how that's, that's just pretty normal. You talking about you. <laughs> business, business I could have done it. The, I could have done the whole hour. Yeah. Business as usual, you know, and <laughs> he's talking about Steven. I do. I, you know, talking about, you know, it's all about Stephen. I, I uh, this past uh, Tuesday, I had an appointment in Boston with a dermatologist. Oh dear um, God! And um, you know, this is I've been I've been going. I, this is my fourth dermatologist. Uh, you know, I had a couple of like some what appear to be bruises show up, um, and I went to two dermatologists, and they told me they both said, "Oh, they're bruises; they'll disappear." But after a year, nothing happened. So I went to a third dermatologist, and she was really good. And she, she thought it was something called fixed drug uh, reaction. And uh, but she treated me for about a year, and nothing happened. So then she eventually said, "I think I'm going to refer you to, uh, you know, maybe somebody in Boston, uh, MGH Dermatology." And now, thankfully, I you know my doctor is out of NGH, uh, so I got I was able to get an appointment, which is very difficult to get. So we go into Boston, and Stephen comes with me, and unexpectedly, this amazing doctor, he was really really great. I mean, great experience overall. But um, he blindsided me and says, "Oh, you're gonna need a biopsy, and I'm gonna take a couple of samples, one from your leg, one from your arm." I'm like, okay, you know, again, I wasn't prepared for that, but it is what it is. So Stephen is in the room, he's in panic mode, and they're getting me ready, and I'm a little nervous, and Stephen says to me, 
Oh, you know, I, I, I asked everyone in spirit to be here, you know, be in the room. They're all here. And I just looked at him I'm say, and I said, they're here for me? And he's like, no, for me. I'm so nervous. I need all of them here. I'm like, oh, my God. This really, I, I couldn't make this stuff if I tried. Yeah, I'm I'm the one getting the biopsy, but Steven is calling on all spirit to come support him because he's that nervous. So honestly, this that that is that in essence that is that's what Steven is all about. So I don't know what Frederick Masick. Yep, that that's Stephen Frederick Masick for you. And I know no those of you who are listening to today and you know a little bit of Stephen, you know that. I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. This is exactly what Stephen is and what he does. Um, but the other thing, Stephen, is, I mean, I, you talked about your book, right? Yes. We're still waiting on the release of your, the second episode of Dark Echoes Paranormal. Uh, yes, on the, on, on the television series that I am on. I, they've released one episode that I'm not in, and I am in the second episode, and that is just at any moment will be coming um, on Amazon Prime. Exactly. And then, um, the, um, and by the way, if you guys are wondering, Dark Echoes Paranormal, uh, Matthew Kondraki was the, uh, or is the, uh, the director filmmaker and he was a guest last uh last week or you know last week right so you know he's an amazing guest you can listen to that uh podcast that recording but uh, we're waiting for that and then sundays every sunday at seven we're doing uh sundays with steelix Uh, steelix if you haven't gotten that it's a combination of steven and elix and um what we're doing is we spent about an hour with you every Sunday at 7 p.m. Um, and we do a little bit of cooking. You do a little bit of reading. We do a lot of laughing and a lot of fun, right? And singing. And some singing also. So, yeah, the best, the best of us come out. And uh, I think people are really enjoying uh, tuning in to every Sunday at 7. You can tune in on YouTube at the Stephen the Medium channel and look for Steelix Sundays uh, with Steelix. And, um, and I think we've, we've been connecting on Facebook, uh, but we, we really want people to, to um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And um, I think that, you know, that is, that's what I got. Anything else? I mean, I know Thanksgiving is coming up, and um, so I know many, many of you are planning your Thanksgiving feast and gatherings and Stephen and I are going to have a very low-key Thanksgiving this year and there's nothing wrong with that no there's nothing wrong with that this is as many of you know um this is my first year without my mom so I am simply um just coping with dealing with the holidays without mom for the first time so but you know we're we're coping, we're embracing the the what is, and um, that's what that's what's that. So today we have an awesome show, and it's going to be an awesome show, Stephen, because you um, it's something that is very relatable to the work that you did for over twenty years. 
Uh, we have a guest, Dan Kelly, who, you know, is a really a juvenile advocate. And he really, today's show is about being the voice of healing and hope for juveniles. And Dan is really passionate about improving the mental health of young, you know, young people in our society. And uh, I got to meet Dan because he currently works for the Department of Mental Health, and I'm doing a training at the Department of Mental Health. And he really works with youth in several capacities uh, because he really is focused in long-term wellness approach to uh, the youth in in our state, in our in our country. So I think this is going to be a really amazing show, Stephen. And um, and I'm I'm very happy to have him and have you know have him share his perspective and you share your perspective as a juvenile attorney for 20 plus years. Yes, sir. What do you think? I love that. I love that. I love um, I love any any time we can shine a a positive light on the juvenile system. Yes. So I think it's time to take a, our first break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Dan Kelly about his passion and drive to work with juveniles and improve their lives, especially in mental health matters. We will be right back. And hello, hello everyone, and welcome back to Get a Grip with Coach Elix. Hopefully you can hear me much better because I switched microphones with uh, my amazing co-host. Stephen Frederick Masick is here. Stephen Frederick Masick, Stephen the Medium, also known as Stephen the Medium, and just my amazing, uh, my amazing better half in life. So anyways, today... We have an amazing show. I've been looking forward to this show because, you know, Stephen spent over 25 years, over 20 years, excuse me, as a juvenile attorney. And today we have, you know, our show is the juvenile advocate, the voice of healing and hope. And our guest is Dan Kelly. And Dan Kelly is a case manager supervisor at the Department of Mental Health here in Massachusetts. And he has a history of working with juveniles. He has worked with students with moderate learning disabilities and revamped school discipline systems that were disproportionately impacting students of color and those with disabilities. In fact, in a short period, his school reduced its student numbers of suspensions. He's passionate about helping students with trauma who lack the proper support system. Dan, you could not be a better guest for today's show. Welcome. Hi, good afternoon, Coach Elix and Stephen, and thank you for having me on. We are super, super excited to to have you here. Uh, and like I said, because what you do, and Stephen being an attorney for in the juvenile system for 20-plus years, um, there, there's a lot of synergy, so I can't wait to, to engage in this conversation. Now, Dan, you know, as you know, our show is very family-oriented. My audience is day-to-day people, families, parents, and even young people. You know, and you work with juveniles at the Department of Mental Health. So let's start with that. Why don't you tell us about what you do and what drives you to do this very passionate kind of work? Well, 
To be honest, Alex, I think to understand um, my work today and, and um, how I find myself in the position, um, literally, figuratively, um, in my professional and personal life, it's, it's helpful to maybe zoom back a bit, um, a decade or so, uh, when I had started my work uh, at the Mary Lyon uh, High School in, in Brighton. Um, the Mary Lyon High School it was, to my knowledge, um, the first high school in America uh, that was trying an innovative and unique approach at approaching special education. Traditional special education um, is exclusionary. It takes kids with learning disabilities, with behavioral challenges, with um, you know neuropsychological um, challenges, and it excludes them. It pulls them out of the community, out of the larger school community, and says, you know, we're, you you go over here. You're you're different. Um, those models have been disastrous for, for students with disabilities. There's reams of data to um, support that. They never catch up with their peers academically. They often never catch up with their peers emotionally um, on social levels. And they um, would often incorporate the, the taught stigma that existed with special education. Um, our goal at the high school um, was, our model was to, and I hate the term general education, but for, for ease of use, our model was to have a, each classroom be, by design, 60% students with, um, that were considered general education and 40% students with some kind of emotional, behavioral, uh, or, or learning challenge. Uh, it was a brand new model. It hadn't been tried before. My headmaster would often use the analogy that we were, you know, trying to build a, a plane while we were flying it. I had worked um, my earlier part of my career, I spent about 15 years with the Department of Youth Services, first on a detention unit, later on in the administrative side of things, um, went off into the private sector and, and missed, quite frankly, that, that human connection. I knew um, you know, my, my pathway elsewhere. A friend of mine had worked at the school as a teacher and said, you know, hey, you'd be a natural at this. We, we need someone to help out with discipline and sort of behavior management. And that's how I found myself at that school uh, 10 years ago. Um, what ended up happening is, like I said, I came from, you know, a DYS background. So I had this very concrete understanding of um, consequence versus action. Of, of trying to, you know, run a school based on sort of punitive, exclusionary, traditional um, discipline models. And within a, a few short years, um, you know, it was, it was, I found myself being someone who was chasing a train that had left the building. I couldn't out-suspend my way. I couldn't out-detention my way out of the problems um, that we were seeing in schools, who we were seeing in my school community. Um, we zoomed out, and that was that was something I, you know, had to learn, um, both, you know, professionally of getting that uh, balcony view. You know, we, we often use the analogy of while we're on the dance floor, while we're in the ballroom, we're very attuned to our partner, to the movements around us. But it's folks that are on the balcony that can see the larger field. And when we started to look at some of our discipline data, it was... Um, it was shocking and disappointing, to say the least. Um, the students that we strove, that we were by design um, 
built to help were being impacted. Um, you know, our suspension data disproportionately was affecting students of color, disproportionately was, was affecting students that had, um, you know, documented um, emotional behavioral learning challenges. And, it, and more importantly, it just wasn't working. We weren't seeing the improvements in our community um, that we were hoping for. My headmaster at the time had said to me, you know, Boston was piloting some restorative practices in some schools, and he wanted me to go to this training and, um, you know, see how we could adapt that model to fit our school. And, you know, to be frank with you and your listeners, I was, I was dubious at best. I, I attended this training with the full smug intention of coming back and saying, see, I went, I tried, it didn't work. This is all, uh, this is all malarkey. And when I started to implement it, my very first experience, I was, I was floored at, um, at how wrong I actually was. What, why, is, why is that? Like, what, what makes you reach that conclusion about you so the, the, being wrong? The training I had gone to, it was right before uh, the start. It was in July or maybe August, right before the start of the... Uh, 2014, excuse me, 2015-2016 school year. So within, you know, two or three days, um, you know, the kids had gotten settled in, uh, you know, the the um, the good behavior for the first day has sort of worn off and, and, and you know, the, the normal sort of teenage drama began again. Yeah. And what I had experienced and seen in my um, years of working with you and, um and, you know, there's often exceptions to the rule, but by and large, the boys would huff and puff, but the girls would blow your house down. The boys would, would you know, pound their chests and posture, and, you know, they, they would get into fisticuffs, but the girls um, were very quick, very quick to go from zero to uh, fists. So a few days into this new school year, you know, I caught wind of some drama that was going on with a few girls. It was four girls, and... I knew sort of my my history with these girls, their history with each other, and you know more than likely this was not going to end well. I got these four girls together, and you know this was my first toes into the into the uh, my first dipping of toes into the waters of restorative practices. I held a circle, you know, went through these um, you know sort of rituals and format the guidelines that were provided for me, and to my utter amazement. At the end of it, instead of having four girls who I was now trying to get in the middle of, I had four girls that were crying and hugging each other and saying sorry and saying, the next time you do this, can we please help you? Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, the proof was in the pudding. I couldn't, I couldn't refute what my eyes and, you know, quite frankly, my heart were experiencing in that moment. Do, do you think, Dan, based on your experience that, you know, these youth were not experiencing being heard, were not experiencing being um, understood? I think, um, you know, to, to again, to about so, social media, um, you know, for all its benefits is often a, um, an ill to society. It amplifies things. You know, when we were kids, if we had an argument or we got into a scuffle out on the school playground, we, you know, we would dust ourselves off. We would go back to school the next day and that would be the end of it. Now there's this eternal sort of, um, 
peanut gallery, that you will, that records things, like, that fuels these, these sorts of situations. And I think, um, you know, communication and, and often empathy is a learned skill. You know, um, we all model back what we have been taught, what we have been shown, myself included. You know, um, I, you know, went into this whole situation thinking that this was some, you know, touchy-feely, you know, uh, you know, public policy somewhere that someone would be able to hold up a shot, you know, and say, oh, look at this great thing we did. But, you know, I had that mindset, too, of these kids are going to get away with, with uh, getting away with things. We're not punishing them. And um, that was a very hard, that was a very hard paradigm shift to, um to embrace and then to and then to uh, sort of become the the salesman for to, to my fellow faculty and staff of you know um, you know restorative practices as I learned um, you know stemmed from from some work that was happening in the late uh, late sixties and the early seventies where the sociologists were finding that indigenous populations the world over had these commonalities, these smaller indigenous communities where the larger community was dependent on the individual, where each individual was inexorably linked and directly responsible for the next person in that community chain. And where if a harm was done, if a person had, uh, you know, whose act, you know, through their behavior, had created a harm, had done something, it wasn't viewed as an individual um, harm. You know, you did this to me. It was the community has now been harmed, and how do we as a community heal um, to take the individual and, and exclude him and say, you know, we're going to shun you or we're going to walk you away, um, meant to further that harm, to, to further impact the large community. And that was... Um, the paradigm shift that we had to learn to embrace that, you know, instead of coming from a place of, of finger pointing of you did this to me, we had to come to a place of, you know, this is how I was harmed and how do we, um, and this is how I harmed you. How do I best repair that harm versus you have done something wrong. I will now punish you. I will exclude you. Um, and that, you know, and that, Really is the is the essence of sort of restorative practices, but it was very much also the the uphill battle of of trying to um, you know change change you know hundreds of years of of sort of Western you know American um, education and, and discipline systems, and it's uh, it, it, it was a, a very messy uphill battle, but the um, the, the, the fruits of the labor were were were, were abundant and sweet. Yeah, you know what, Dan? It's it's um, again listening to you is it's fascinating, and and I can see how that paradigm shift could be impactful to to so many uh, youth in our community. Uh, Dan, we do need to take a commercial break, but when we come back, I, I'm actually curious. Um, you know, what Stephen has to say, because again, he, he worked in the juvenile system in a different capacity, but I believe based on what I'm listening, hearing from you, that he experienced a lot of uh, uh, those same 
uh, perspective. So let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll we'll continue with our conversation with Dan Kelly. Today we're talking about the juvenile advocate, the voice of healing and hope. We'll be right back. And hello, everyone, and welcome back to Get a Grip with Coach Elix. I'm your host, Coach Elix, and with me, my amazing co-host. Stephen Frederick Masick is here. Stephen the Medium is here, and today we are talking, our subject is the juvenile advocate, the voice of healing and hope. And with us is our special guest, Dan Kelly, who is a... um, mental health advocate and supervisor working currently at the Department of Mental Health here in Massachusetts. Welcome back, Dan. And um, Dan, you know, your the conversation again is super fascinating and fascinating for me because, you know, my husband, Stephen, uh, was a juvenile attorney uh, for 20 plus years and a lot of what you've experienced, he experienced. So, Stephen, do you have any questions uh, for Dan or, you know, how do you relate to the conversation about the disparity, you know, among uh, youth of, you know, color on people who, you know, uh, have disabilities or people who come from, uh, you know, indigenous uh, communities? Oh, hey, Dan. You know, Dan, when when you're speaking about your experience, it is almost like you're talking through me because so much of it is so close. And, you know, when when you were talking to me, I mean, when you were talking to to the audience just about um, um, rolling out this new program in, in the school, in the high school, I was just thinking... Listen, in, in juvenile, juvenile court in all the years I, w- I was there, there were hard and steady, fast rules. I mean, they changed names, you know, like I'm, I'm probably sure you know, like from chins to CRAs and whatnot. Um, but, but the rules were always there. I can't imagine what that's like rolling out a program that's brand new when you are dealing with just this this environment that is not always the easiest to deal with because it it certainly wasn't for me all those years and i had as i mentioned hard and steady fast rules and i'm just curious dan what's the status of of that program has it been expanded like are other schools looking at it um so i left the i left boston public schools about two years ago and um, i know that um at the time of my leaving that there was a um they were piloting it in, in some of the other um, schools and some of the larger schools. My school was, um, because we were such a specialty school, we capped out at 160 students. So I do know that they were, um, they did have someone on a district level that was um, looking at, at um, you know, expanding this program to, to the other schools. Wow. I, 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 I love that. And thank you for that. And I was just also thinking, when I was working as a, a juvenile um, court attorney and I had clients, there were times that you had me as the minor's attorney in a school meeting and sometimes even a separate independent educational advocate if, if I requested that from court and the judge approved that. And it's just it's, it's incredible um, to think that you've got um, two adults um, 
vying for, and Elix, I know you were asking this question, vying for um, the, these miners' rights, and if there's if there's any kind of you know educational plans involved, in which usually there are. But it just goes to show you that you're not only having one person, you've got two. And even with that said, you know, there's sometimes a delay in getting to, to the root of what's going on with these issues in, 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 in being successful. So um, it's just it's it's I, I just relate to so much, Dan, that you're talking about. Yeah, you know, what what I came to appreciate was, you know, was was overcoming this notion of, of punishment that, you know, that a lot of times underneath that, are, are we trying to modify this, this kid's behavior? Are we trying to, like, pat ourselves on the back and say, I'm the adult here, and I showed them, and my, my, rule is, my word is, is rule. And, um, you know, what I, what, I, what I began to appreciate more was, one, you know, especially on the high school level, if suspending a student modified their behavior, they would, it's, the ch- chances are it would have happened to them some point before they got to high school, and if it actually worked, we wouldn't be suspending them in high school. So I had to really just take a look at that and say the, the causality just wasn't there. And then what I began to appreciate, too, was that by exclusionary policies, by saying to a kid, you're not allowed back in the school for three days, it solved nothing. They, the, the conflict that existed between that student and the other student still existed. We had three days of the, of the social media echo chamber to really turn up the volume. While those students are out of school, and, and um, Stephen, I'm sure you're probably more intimately familiar with these numbers, but my understanding is that most juvenile um, crime happens between 2 and 6 p.m. in the afternoon while they're unsupervised. So it was to take a problem and make it worse and to take that problem and then make it harder on folks that, you know, these parents are working. Now they have to figure out what's going on. Is someone going to be allowed to, you know, check on Junior for three days? Junior is out of school for three days. They're playing PlayStation. They're not really any worse off of this consequence. They're just going to be a little bit further behind on their classwork when they get back, further perpetuating this problem. And, um, I will tell anybody who's worked with juveniles, um, as far as punishment goes, you, you want to see um, someone feel uncomfortable. It's not going to be by a suspension. It's going to be by that student reflecting on their actions and realizing, wow, yeah, that you know there is a direct link between my action and this harm, and, and I have to own that. And, um, you know... I, I would. I was fond of saying, you know, we're not we're not punished for our sins. We're punished by our sins. And in one of the um, sort of cornerstone moments, I would say, of sort of capturing the hearts and minds of, of the other adults in the building, um, there was one Friday afternoon where, at dismissal, a couple it was three students. They had taken a barrel of trash and kind of thrown it over a banister on the third floor. And, and to be frank, it always sort of ceased to, I was never, um, it never ceased to amaze me the fact that I would say to these kids, you know, we have cameras, right? Um, so I was having a conversation with each of these students Monday morning after I had found everything out and reviewed the cameras and found out, you know, who was who. And one of the students said to me, you know, I don't know what you're making such a big deal of this. Uh, you know, we got our um, janitor, our custodian is named Dave. He says, we got Dave. I mean, it's Dave's job to pick up the trash. What's the big deal? 
And a, a light bulb went off in my head. And what I ended up doing was, um, you know, the next day having a circle with those three students and with Dave, the custodian, and, and brought Dave into, you know, he was always part of our community, but wanted to make sure he had a voice in this process. And Dave was explaining, you know, what it was like to get up on a February morning at 5 a.m. an hour and a half earlier than it needed to be because some students had made a mess, you know, in the building and he had to trudge in and clean it before everybody got there. And it was like light bulbs clicked above these kids' heads of, you know, the custodian is an actual person. It wasn't Dave, the custodian, pushing the broom. It was, wow, this poor guy's having to get up early because of the actions that I did. And what we agreed upon was these kids would help Dave clean the cafeteria each lunch for the next week after, you know, um, after lunch and, you know, um, help them tidy up. And for the remainder of that school year, I was, every once in a while, I'd be in the cafeteria and I'd hear, you know, one of those three students yelling at another kid who was, you know, trying to do their best, uh, you know, Michael Jordan with a milk uh, canister across the uh, cafeteria. Hey, hey, go pick that up. That's not Dave's job to pick that milk. I'll pick that up. <laughs> and you know what? I, I'll tell you, Dan, not to interrupt you, but I will tell you, I think also the fact of, of that story or the point also of that story is that I'm sure these kids also realized Mr. Kelly cares. Mr. Kelly took his time to, to, to get this gentleman to meet with us, but he cares. He cares about us. He cares that we did this. It's not just, as you mentioned, it's just, here's your punishment. Mr. Kelly cares. And, and, and that's, I, th- I think across the board in so many of the, the most of the clients that I, I represented was that was missing, as you mentioned about being home. If you're suspended, um, you know, I had parents that would always, you know, if, if, if the judge looked at the parent and said, you know, why aren't you making sure your, your son or daughter aren't getting up for school? Well, because I leave at six in the morning to go to work and I've got two jobs. So, so much of, of what you're saying is, is just so on point. Uh, Dan, I, I wish I had more uh, affiliation with you when I was um, working there as well as when you were working there, because I think it would have been a, a great, uh, you would have been a great advocate for me too. Yeah, you both, you both would have been great uh, supporters of each other. But you know what? We do need to take another break, uh, Dan. So hang in there. We're going to take a small commercial break and we'll be right back. And hello, everyone. Welcome back to Get a Grip with Coach Elex. I'm your host, Coach Elex. With me, my amazing co-host. Stephen Frederick. Stephen Demedium, who happens to be my husband and just uh, my amazing better half. And we also have an amazing guest with us uh, today is Dan Kelly, who is a case manager supervisor with the Department of Mental Health here in Massachusetts. And today's show is about you know, being a juvenile advocate, the voice of healing and hope for our youth. And um, Dan, I can't help it, but you and I, you know, I met Dan through a training that I'm currently doing for the Department of Mental Health. And part of that training, and the training is about race, equity, and inclusion. Part of that training, Dan, is when we talked about microaggressions. And by the way, microaggression is defined as, you know, a term you know, often that we use is often intentional, can be unintentional, that communicates a derogatory, biased, 
attitude towards it's often a stigmatized uh, or marginalized group of individuals. And uh, we had an exercise, Dan, in our class about microaggressions, and we specifically used one that was um, part of a, a Harvard Business Review article. And that statement is something like, everyone can succeed in society if you work hard enough. And I'm listening to you, and of course, over the, the, the 20 years that Stephen was an attorney for the juvenile system, I can tell you that is so not true. I can tell you that there's so many young people who are just simply dismissed by the system. And no matter how hard they work, they are in an un, they're in an unwinnable game. What's your take on that, Dan? Yeah, no, you know, like, so I, I would, um, you know, I would certainly agree with that. And and um, what I, um, you know, have experienced and in, in through my work and, and through, um, you know, just sort of conversations and, and, and you know, data and anecdotal evidence is the fact that, you know, at the end of the day the deck is stacked. Everybody is not going to be dealt, you know, the same fair set of cards randomly every time. There are yes. um, institutional structures and barriers that that prevent um, that prevent certain segments of our population from, you know, um, getting a piece of the pie, getting their fair chance yes. at a piece of the pie. Um, my, you know, my work um, in, in restorative practices, um, you know, when, when it comes down to it, um, really, really centered around trust. Um, you know, these students had to trust the fact that when I said that they would be safe, they would be safe. When I said that, you know, the Vegas rule, what we talk about in this space, will stay in the space. This is not fodder for the hallways again. Um, and that is where the work began. But also from that place, from that place of trust, I realized that um, I was only seeing, you know, I was only addressing one part of, of, of what might be in my power to address. Um, I, I saw my students hurting. I saw my students experiencing trauma at home. I saw my students experiencing domestic violence, substance abuse, <clears throat> and nowhere to take that, nowhere to take that, that hurt. Um, and, and from that, I created a, a support group at the school that was loosely centered around um, supports for substance abuse, you know, um, either in the community home if a student was struggling. But more importantly, it was a safe place. And it was it was a challenge to, to, to fight against the bureaucracy that, um, you know, the well-meaning bureaucracy that says, you know, we, we want to serve students, but... You're a mandated reporter, and if you open this can of worms about what's, you know, substance abuse in the house, well, then you're going to have to, you know, uh, it's better we just not have this conversation. Um, and I was, I'm a, my perspective on life is I've always been someone who's um, much more comfortable seeking forgiveness than permission. Um, I saw the need there. I knew that it would be challenging to um, embody both the roles of a mandated reporter and as, as a, as a helper. Um, and I think I was able to do that. Um, yes. My, um, there at the school before, um, 
unfortunately, the you know um, academics became more of a focus uh, at the school. Um, some of the resources were pulled away. So I, I hope my uh, my work continues there. I, I, I'm sure it, it it is, and he has, and he will. Dan, for anyone who's listening, it may be a parent, maybe a teacher, maybe a colleague, another counselor, a therapist that and that may be looking for ways to learn to cope with these young people what would you what would you offer them you know um this is going to come you know perhaps from a very unexpected source but um it always resonated with me shortly after the horrible events at Columbine. Uh, Marilyn Manson, who's a you know uh, entertainer and is often a lightning rod for controversy. Um, apparently, one of the kids had been listening to one of his CDs beforehand, and uh, you know the media firestorm. They were sort of you know attributing maybe some of the racks to, to his music, and they um, a reporter had stuck a microphone in, the, in his face and said, you know, if you had the opportunity to talk to those two kids, what would you say to them? And he said nothing. I would listen because clearly nobody did. Mm, that's that's so insightful. Listen, listen, listen. And we talked about Dan listening to connect, not listening to 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 validate your position, not listen to confirm, not listen to verify, but just simply listen to connect listen to what's happening in their world. That's really awesome, Dan. Thank you. Anything else, Stephen, for you? No, I, I think that that listening piece is is so key. And, you know, when, when Dan mentioned something earlier in the interview, um, you know, just, just alluding to, like, or maybe you did, Elix, I can't remember, about adults and, not always being right. You know, it's one of the things I used to lead with when I was first meeting um, my clients and saying, you know, you always have to have respect, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that the adult, the parent, the teacher is correct. And I think from that point on, you know, just establishing that relationship and listening, as you just mentioned, Dan just mentioned, is, is, is it. it. It's so key. Even, even yeah. listening to nothing, it's still key. Yeah. I no, think, and, and Alex, um, yeah, I'm go sorry. ahead, go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. Something. You know, you talked about sort of these challenges, and maybe it was Stephen, and you know, um, why are these parents involved? You know, whenever a student would get sent to my office for whatever infraction, you know, they would come in hot and, ah, you know, so and so, Mr. So, Mrs. isn't being, I, I would say to them, hey, have you eaten anything today? Go on my counter, go on my cabinet there, grab yourself a granola bar, grab yourself a glass of water. We'll talk in 20 minutes. Get something in your stomach. Because what we take for granted just wasn't the reality for a lot of these kids, you know. Um, and, and to that point, and I would always say, you know, I think, you know, the kids knew me. And I would say, you know, they, they got to understand that I, I realized um, or I appreciated that concept very much that, you know, um, a position of, of respect and authority doesn't always equate to a position of uh you know, um, not omnipotence, but, uh, you know, uh, omniscience. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. 
You know, Dan, I, I'm listening to you. By the way, I want you to know we this is a conversation that I love to have a follow up. So, you know, I'm I'm inviting you to come back to the show so that we can keep talking. Steven just said to me during the break, you know what? I could uh, this is in this is you know, down my alley. Like I could talk about this subject for forever because because he relates to the conversation. Uh, because of the work that he did as well. So i love for you to come back. I want to say this, though. Listening to you and the work you've done, it's so palpable that you you just passionate about this work. And I can I know in listening to you that you, you've touched many of these young people's lives, and I, I am positive that their lives is better just because they got you um, in their lives. So if people want to learn more about your work and connect with you, how can they do that, Dan? Well, I'm in the um, process of revamping um, some social media outlets as well as, um, you know, a uh, professional contact. But in the interim, um, I'm not, um, you know, opposed to giving out my personal email. Folks can reach me at Kelly 73 at gmail.com. Perfect. And Perfect. I will definitely and, and, um, update you guys, as, you know, as I have uh, some other um, uh, contact info. Yeah, your assignment is when you come back to the show, you're going to have your website ready to go so that <laughs> people can reach you directly. Dan, it's been an awesome, uh, amazing honor to have you here today. Thank you for the work that you do in behalf of all the young people who, who need you. Thank you so much. We're, we're at the end of the show. so Thank you, Stephen, Dan. Steven, thank thank anything, you both uh, for having me on. I look forward you, to, to speaking further. Oh, my uh, God. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thank you. So, Stephen, anything that um, you want to say before we complete our show? How I'm can glad to get a hold would, of you. Well, I'm just going to say I'm glad that you mentioned that about, you know, Dan just just it reeks that authenticity and genuineness and that he's just about helping those kids. It's just what 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 a what a. I, it's like those goose pimple moments talking to yes. him. So I'm so happy I, I, I did. So you can do Stephen the medium. And on an administrative note, we're not here next week, but the week after, guess who's got a shot at his own show again through the static is back, right? Yeah. Once again, it's, it's all about Stephen because I have to redo <laughs> my whole schedule just to accommodate <laughs> Stephen and his needs. Just saying. But we love to have you back. And, um, and Stephen, we got to comp- um, So if you want to reach me, you can find me at Coach Elex anywhere on social media. And um, but I, we got to complete because stay tuned. Stay tuned for our producer, Mark. His show it's up coming up. Uh, it's Mark Jukebox. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Stevie, for um, navigating this breakdown today. The technical happy issues. Happy so. Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Marky.